Live from San Diego, California, we go live to the newsroom with your host for Nick's Nerd. We're in the end game now, folks. And that, that that's just not because we're talking about Avengers Endgame today, but because we're a week away from our one year, we are uh, entering May about, and that means pretty much every show is going to be ending for the summer. We're a month and a half from E3, so we're in the end game now, folks. Anyway, I, I'm your host, Nick. Welcome to the show. Again, I'm your host, Nick. I'm just going to repeat it ad nauseum for you all. Uh, just uh, just some, some shopkeeping here. Check us out on nixnerdnews.com. There you can find links to all our social media pages like Facebook, Instagram, Twitter. You can also listen to the show right in your browser. Or you can uh, click on links to that for the show on Spotify, iTunes, and Google Play if, if those are your preferred listening methods. Uh, we're going to start ex- exploring some, some other methods soon as, as we uh, ramp up into the new year. Uh, for Nick's Nerd News, that is. Also, if you have had some issue listening to the show, or if it, it's some things might look a little different, I, I recently switched over to a new hosting site, so that that could be why. I do apologize if you missed. Everything should be up now on on all the preferred platforms. Everything should be working perfectly now. Uh, just want to make sure that you guys uh, don't have any issues with that. But Let's just uh, let's just get right into it, shall we? Because uh, we we got a lot to talk about, and of course, I'm going to cap off the show with Endgame. A lot of emotions, lot of emotions to talk about with that. But as always, we start with what's going on in in the virtual playground of the video game universe. Mortal Kombat 11 came out in the last week or so, since at least since the last episode. I did finish the story. Great story, by the way. It was. Uh, well told. It's a culmination of the story that's been told since Mortal Kombat 9 when the universe was essentially not totally rebooted, but the story was began anew after what happened in the previous storyline. Uh, Mortal Kombat 9 essentially takes place at the same time as the original Mortal Kombat, like Raiden gets a message from his future self and it sets a, a, a new storyline in motion essentially. Uh, that was continued in 10 when we had a like a 20, 25-year time jump. And of course, we come to 11 now. Uh, and it seems like Raiden and his time meddling have pissed off a god, the goddess of time herself, Kronika. And the story, uh, the way she does things, because she can manipulate time, obviously, as the goddess of time herself. And she brings all these different characters all throughout history. So you get a lot of characters of their past selves, essentially, uh, coming from Mortal Kombat 9, and then you have characters uh, in Mortal Kombat 11 as the current timeline, which allows you to play some characters you didn't get to in 10, like Liu Kang, Kung Lao, Cabal, things like this. Uh, you get There's two versions of Kano, there's two versions of Johnny Cage, you get to play as a younger, cocky Johnny Cage and an older, more resolute Johnny Cage, I guess is the right word. A couple different versions of Jax, uh, Scorpion, and Sub-Zero, characters like this. And then you also get some some new characters returning from 10 
Uh, Koto Khan, for one, one of my favorite characters that was added the last game is back in this one. Oh, I forgot to mention uh, Katana. You get to play as Katana, which you, you didn't in, in 10. Devora is back. Uh, you lost some characters that were in 10 that were new to 10, uh, but replaced with, with old favorites, though. Uh, also, some new additions like uh, Giris, who is a ally of Kronika. Uh, Kronika is not an added player. Uh, it's just, she's just the boss character, essentially. The gameplay is really smooth, really fun, and uh, the, the, what, what happens at the end of the story leaves a lot of potential for where the series could go. I, I don't want to spoil too much, but essentially time resets itself to a degree. I don't, I don't want to say uh, completely because certain characters are in charge, so it makes sure things will flow a certain way, if, if you will. So it, it'll be interesting to see where they go with a 12, if they do make a 12, which... I'm sure no doubt they will. The graphics are, are amazing. Everything, the, the facial animations are, are silky smooth, if, 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 if that's a way to describe a, a video game. I had a lot of fun in it. I've, I've, I haven't mastered fatalities yet. I did get my first brutality, just by happenstance, really. I did get, uh, I purchased a fight stick for myself. I, I've been getting a lot of fighting games lately, and I, I would prefer to learn how to play on that just so I can get combos down more and things like this as as uh well a traditional gamepad is is easy to play on not all fighting games are are built with those in mind per se while you do lose some things on a, on a fight stick they do allow for a lot smoother play in in um when it comes to to a fighting game so i i do enjoy that but but as it stands definitely giving mortal kombat 11 a 9 out of 10 it, like I said, this is one of the best games of the year for me, personally. Having a shit ton of fun in it. Um, right now, I think I'm going to main as Scorpion or Johnny Cage. I, those characters are the... I don't want to say easy to uh, play with, but those are the ones that I've had the most success with outside of uh, the campaign. Because you, you kind of get a feel for just about every character in the campaign. And the ones that I had the most fun playing with were Johnny Cage and... Scorpion for sure. So that's uh, that's something I'm going to continue. Look for me online. You know, uh, my my gamer tag on Xbox obviously is uh, the capital T H E Nick DeFalco. Same as my my personal Instagram and Twitters. If you wanted to follow those outside of just following the show's Twitter and Instagram accounts, I actually posted a gameplay vid of me playing a Scorpion getting my brutality. I, I just had to record it because it it just happened out of nowhere. But yeah, Mortal Kombat 11, 9 out of 10. That, that's for damn sure. Anyway, let's kind of get on, on to the news here uh, before I prattle on and on about, about a game taking up all our time today. Unlike last year, Square Enix will actually host an actual press conference at E3 this year. Looks like they're going to take the recently vacated spot of Sony on Monday night. So last year, Square Enix did a bit of a uh, more like a Nintendo Direct style show that just it was okay it didn't reveal a lot it didn't show off too much but it's uh to definitely something different i i welcome the the idea of a how do i want to say this i like the idea of a press conference i guess more just cuz it allows for for different things to to happen per se that might not have come across in like a a direct to video style situation and and with that though i'm guess i'm guessing we'll get more on kingdom hearts 3 as I guess it was leaked. So its first official DLC is live. Uh, it's, uh, the critical mode is free for everyone. 
but it got leaked about some paid DLC. It's going to be called, uh, allegedly it will be called Remind. Uh, it will be a secret episode and a secret boss will also come with a new Keyblade and a new form for Sora. Like, like I said, no official word on that yet. It's mostly just a rumor. Uh, someone was at a like a concert in Japan, and for the music of, uh, I, I, I it, the, the details were sketchy at best. So maybe something will be at, at the uh, Square Enix press conference in June, just a month and a half away. NPD released the top selling games for March. Division two at number one, and surprisingly Sekiro at number two. I know a couple weeks back we talked about Sekiro selling pretty well. Uh, it's good to see that it topped March's sales. Nintendo announced that Super Mario Maker 2 will release on June 28th for the Switch. Uh, that that uh, Super Mario Maker is really cool. It, uh, you get to build your own Mario levels, essentially. And some of the things that came out of the, the first one were amazing to see. It's always like uh, like the, the, the craftiness of people in Minecraft and, and Halo Forge modes have always been amazing. The things that people can do when given the freedom to have that creativity, and of course, if you have the time to express that creativity, it's, it's amazing. So, last weekend, if if uh, you pay attention to sports at all, was the NFL Draft. It was in Tennessee, and the day before the draft, EA held an event uh, for prospective NFL players, and apparently it was a Call of Duty event, which they, they tend to do a lot, and uh, if, if you recall, Black Ops 4 was also leaked because of a sports player. This was the NBA. It was around the NBA Finals and, you know, same time of year. And a player was uh, photographed wearing a hat with the what ended up being the logo for Black Ops 4. You know, the, the four Roman numeral eyes, which it's not how you fucking do four in Roman numerals, but whatever. Uh, apparently, a, a lot of players were caught talking or recording or saying shit on Twitter or Reddit or, or something... And they were, or recorded saying something in an Instagram video. I, I'm not really entirely sure how it leaked, but the they could be heard saying "Modern Warfare 4" and "Kill Streaks," which has allowed the internet to essentially speculate wildly. And uh, everyone is assuming because it is Infinity Wars year. Obviously, we're never getting a Ghosts 2. Obviously. And unfortunately, we're not getting an advanced war, or infinite warfare too. I did have a lot of fun with infinite warfare. Um, the the all bets right now are on modern warfare four. I would welcome it. I don't know how they would tell that story because obviously, I guess spoilers here for a game from like eight years ago. Soap is dead. Ghost is dead. Several other characters are dead. I mean, you have Price, but he'd be old at this point. So who knows? Maybe it will go back to before. Like the first Modern Warfare, maybe it will go take place immediately after, in between somewhere. But I'm I'm very excited if it's Modern Warfare. That that'd be a welcome comeback. Be very very excited for that. And then, as always, Epic and Fortnite are in the news. And this time it's a little different. First, uh, Tim Sweeney, the the head of Epic, was asked recently about you know his their exclusivity deals that they're they're getting, and people are pissed because the Epic Store is is lacking essentially essentially in, in just quality of life features that that Steam has like there's no friends list there's no curation there's a lot of things that just aren't in the epic store that are in Steam and he had this to stay, say uh, he tweeted this actually if Steam committed to a permanent 88% revenue share for all developers and publishers without major strings attached epic would hastily 
organize a retreat from exclusives while honoring our partner commitments and consider putting our own games on Steam. So if you're unaware, Steam actually has a 30% revenue sharing agreement. So essentially for every game sold on Steam, uh, Valve gets 30%, which a lot of people think is predatory. I, 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 I can totally see that. And obviously Steam's trying to make money too. I think 30% is a little outrageous when you really look at the numbers because it, it that's going to be really uh, hurtful, I guess is the right term, especially for smaller developers and smaller publishers and things like this because every part of that, every dollar counts to them more than it does to Activision and, and EA. Well, EA's shit is on Origin and you know Ubisoft's on, on Uplay and things like this. But a majority of games are on and available on Steam. But that 30%, you know, that's a big deal. Uh, obvious, okay, uh, Microsoft, that, that's a prime example. 30% to them, they don't give a shit. 30% to someone like uh, Capybara Games, that's going to hurt them a lot, okay? So, I get it, and Epic only has a 12%, which makes a lot of sense why people would be switching over to Epic, but, uh, which, again, none of the Epic games are on Steam, and they, you, you, to play Fortnite on a computer, you have to download it directly from Epic. So, I, I, I mean... If anything, the existence of the Epic Store does allow for, for a lot stronger competition because now while the Microsoft Store or the Windows 10 Store, however you want to call it, is not very popular, not very user-friendly in terms of gaming and things like this, it integrates with Xbox Live, so that's where you get your friends list and things like this as opposed to Steam. But uh, there's, it's, a, it's very walled off when you buy things from the, through the Windows 10 Store. Um, Steam, not so much. But, you know, the Epic Store, same thing. If anything, if you get all three of these and then they all work harmoniously and, and allow for more competition, that only, it's, it's a win ultimately for gamers and consumers. So, I, I'm all for it. I mean, some games on, on the Epic Store are cool. Like, there's that Hades game that was announced at the Game Awards. It's a top-down platformer that looks really fun. Obviously, as reported, Metro Exodus was on there. You know, obviously Fortnite, things like this. So, it, 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 we'll see. But then, speaking of Epic and Fortnite, Polygon reported, uh, had the scoop, surprisingly not Kotaku. But, uh, according to a new report, Epic, uh, staff at Epic Games are working in a state of constant crunch, essentially. And this is, uh, this is someone, an anonymous source said, I work an average of 70 hours a week. There's probably at least 50 or even 100 other people at Epic working those hours. I know people who pull 100-hour weeks. They also went on to say the biggest problem is that we're patching all the time. And another source said people are losing their jobs because they don't want to work these hours. And other sources saying that if you take time off, things like this, it's a mark against your character. They also said they just didn't care... When I complained, one of my managers told me to just quiet down and warn me that I'd be let go. That's this. So this isn't like normal crunch week at, at game developers where, you know, they're getting closer to a certain milestone and everybody comes in and just fucking works nonstop for like a week straight. But then they get a break and some time off and they can go back to normal hours. Okay, this is, seems like it's it's constant. And it's because Fortnite needs to just keep up with the masses and make sure they have ever growing meet the ever-growing needs of their player base to stay relevant which i can understand from a standpoint but if you're sacrificing the health of your employees things are going to go sideways eventually because someone's going to miss something because they're going to be fucking wiped out 
and they're going to miss a line of code or type something wrong and it's going to break the game and it's going to hurt them down the road sometime. Which, I mean, I don't know. It, it, it's a, it's a double-edged sword, I guess. Uh, another source also said crunch was everywhere. Even facilities and office management. The only people that got away with not doing crunch were basically the guys that were telling people to crunch. See, again, yes, I understand bosses aren't necessarily going to be working like that, but in a game development studio, the bosses are usually heavily involved in development as well. They're not just sitting around dictating to everyone. Epic responded to Polygon saying, Extreme situations such as 100-hour work weeks are incredibly rare, and in those instances we seek to immediately remedy them to avoid recurrence. We have been responding to these challenges by aggressively growing the team, improving our planning process, and experimenting with approaches. I mean, this is a company that's made several billion dollars off of Fortnite alone. I think they can afford to hire enough people so they don't have to fucking kill their employees with 100-hour, 70-hour weeks. I mean, that's a little ridiculous, okay? Now, like I said, I understand it's necessary at some points in the year and some points in the process. People understand that. Deadlines are made. They have to reach them, mainly because the consumers are assholes and we demand everything and de desire instant gratification. But at the same time, if this is a constant thing, that is only going to push people away from... From working for you it's only going to hurt your developers and programmers and could eventually end up hurting the game itself the thing that you are trying to keep up running and relevant so it's like it, it's just a it's a catch-22 it's just a ever circling spiral of death i guess but uh if you want this to stop stop playing fortnite and that's my public service announcement <laughs> if it's all true obviously as uh, as reported last week, Hideo Kojima was at the Tribeca Film Festival and did give some updates on Death Stranding. And of course, because it's Kojima, we're still sitting here having more questions and almost no answers. Uh, this is per Games Radar. Kojima said this on Death, Death Stranding. It's an open world action game, but it's really something new. That's just doublespeak right there. I mean... That's not an answer. I don't know what that means. Do you know what it means? Because I sure as hell don't. If, if someone could tell me, like, if if they know Kojima personally, I, I'd love to have, like, a real straightforward answer on this. But who fucking knows? We won't know until the game's actually out. But I don't know. Let's, uh, let's move on here. With April ending and May beginning, obviously we have things leaving and coming to Netflix. As always, I will just give you some things that are pertinent to our normal conversations here on the show, and I will not give you a full list. Those are easily searchable and readily available online at your convenience. But this month on Netflix, on the first, uh, usually we lose most things on, on the first of the month. Uh, we're losing 8 Mile, we're losing Watchmen, great movie. I'm sure HBO scooped that up to get people hyped for their Watchmen series. Uh, pretty much all the James Bond movies that are on Netflix are leaving From Dusk Till Dawn and Godzilla. No word if it's the 2014 Gareth Edwards directed or the original 1954 version. But coming to Netflix in May, on the 1st we get the Austin Powers trilogy, Dumb and Dumber, Fear and Loathing in Las Vegas, Scarface, Scream, Snowpiercer, the, the Chris Evans starring... Uh, movie a south korean movie i heard it's really good it's about a train in like the future where everything's like snow and the the population lives on a train i haven't had a, never had a chance to watch it hopefully i'll get around to it now 
and the Matrix trilogy. On May 2nd, Olympus Has Fallen will join. May 8th, we get the new season of Lucifer. And then on uh, May 27th, we actually get the first two seasons of Outlander, Showtime's fantasy epic, which uh, George R.R. Martin, the creator of Game of Thrones, actually loves that show. So if, uh, if you don't have Showtime and you've always heard good things about Outlander, it is coming to Netflix later in May. So now that Netflix is out of the way, let, let's kind of talk about what's uh, what's airing on the boob tube there over on uh, on your television screens. And as we move closer and closer to the premiere date, I still can't believe this is a show. But Pennyworth still will premiere on, on was it Epics? On July 28th. Yes, there is a show about Batman's butler when he first started to work for the Waynes. I, I just, I don't know. I guess, uh, who knows? Anyway, we got some some rumors uh, regarding the uh, announced WandaVision show about the Vision and Wanda Maximoff. Is that her name in the MCU? I can't remember. But uh, Elizabeth Olsen was giving an interview somewhere and I, I guess mentioned that some things about some of the sets they filmed at for the show might make it set in the 1950s. I, I don't know how that's going to fucking work. I'm pretty sure Scarlet Witch and the Vision weren't uh, time traveling in between, you know, Civil War and Infinity War. So I that I'm really confused in that whole situation. But I we'll we'll know more when it premieres on on Disney Plus later in the year. Uh, Nickelodeon has greenlit an animated Star Trek show. Uh, this is per Variety, you know the the industry rag. And uh, it's going to be a, a computer-generated show about a group of lawless teens who discover a derelict Starfleet ship and use it to search for adventure, meaning, and salvation. First off, pretty sure Starfleet would never just leave a derelict ship floating around the Beta Quadrant. Secondly, who are these lawless teens in the, in the Star Trek universe? Because, for starters, if, if you're part of the Federation of Planets, uh, life's pretty fucking great, okay? Uh, I'm pretty sure they, they cured all disease. Money's not a thing, from my understanding, <laughs> of watching Star Trek for a very long time. And most of the time, teens live on a starship with their parents, or are back on Earth, or on some planet. So, if they're lawless teens, they're either A, like kids of people who aren't in the Federation, and... Don't know how they get access to a Starfleet ship, let alone a derelict one. And looking for adventure, meaning, and salvation. That's going to be a real fucking boring kids show, if you ask me. I mean, Star Trek was never really meant for kids. And while they did have an animated version of like the original series that was more kid-friendly, I, I don't know. Star Trek was never big on action and things like this. It's always been a more of a... Uh, Closer to political drama than anything. It'll be interesting to see how they focus that for kids. Don't know when that's going to... They did not have a premiere date for that, though. But uh, last bit of uh, TV news before we talk about Game of Thrones, Episode 2. Yes, we are talking about things a week later just to give people time. Uh, Jerome Flynn, who actually stars in, in Game of Thrones as Bronn, has been cast in Amazon's Dark, uh, Dark Tower series... Uh, as a cowboy, didn't say uh, if he's playing Roland or, or or anything like that for that matter, but he was cast as a cowboy 
in Amazon's Dark Tower series. So good thing to see that that show's still happening despite the movie being a complete and utter failure. But can't wait to see how that goes. Amazon produces great content most of the time. They're like Netflix. They Sometimes they have more money than they know what to do with and end up not telling things the right way. And speaking of Jerome Flynn, uh, we, we got to see him for the first time this season on Game of Thrones. Um, some, some minor spoilers ahead. Not enough to justify a spoiler tag. Obviously, I'll still put one. Um, so you guys can come back when I'm done as we, we get into movies. Spoilers end at 30 minutes, 55 seconds. So come back then. But last week, we got uh, episode two of Game of Thrones, season eight. Uh, it was called A Night of the Seven Kingdoms. Great episode, a lot slow for a lot of people. Not uh, A few of my friends were not fans of it per se, um, as it was a very slow burn of an episode and, and essentially the like the calm before the storm, if, if you will. A lot happened, though, despite it being uh, not a lot happening to move the plot along, per se. And my my favorite thing is there there's a scene in the episode um where a lot of the characters end up in the great hall of winterfell a lot of characters who've never really interacted before all just kind of reminiscing about the past and uh getting ready to understand that the upcoming battle of winterfell may be their last and we get some always lovely interactions between tormund and brienne he is Oh man, he is in love with her. Obviously, they, they came back uh, in this episode as well. Um, back to Winterfell from them escaping the White Walkers and everything at Last Hearth, the House of the Umbers. And of course, the first thing out of Tormund's mouth is, is the big woman here. Oh man, their love. Their love is eternal. I hope she she gives it back to him one day. Oh, it's and and just the looks he gave her in this whole scene around the fireplace, and that's kind of where I'm going to focus this week on uh, because that 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 particular set of of scenes stood out to me more than anything, and I, I mostly because I think it gives us a time to interact with characters who might not make it out of episode three, which as of recording airs later tonight, and I mean it it, it was it was a bit cathartic, I guess you could say, because we know that. The end is nigh. Not a whole lot of time left with these characters in general. I mean, there's only really four, five, six hours at the most, I think, depending on how the final episodes play out and length of time and everything like that. I think uh, I think the episode three, which is more than likely the Battle of Winterfell, or whatever they end up calling the episode, will be an hour and a half. But I, uh, I, I loved this whole thing, because they're, they're all talking about battle and how things are and how things could be. Tormund tells this amazing story of, of how he got his name Giant Bane, how he killed a giant when he was 10 and bedded the giant's wife and slept with her for three weeks. And it's he got so strong from, from fucking suckling giant's milk from the giant's wife. <laughs> oh. And then he just drinks what looks like milk out of this epic fucking horn. It was just, everyone is just fucking staring at him like, what the fuck just happened? And it was great. Um, obviously, this was all in conversation uh, re- pertaining to Jamie, uh, how he got the name. Uh, so normally he goes by Kingslayer. Uh, 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 Tormund call him Kingkiller, which is funny. Uh, Tyrion talks about his different battles and how to prepare everyone and how he's just drinking, essentially. 
Davos of Blackwater and how he survived so many battles. It's great in, uh, interaction there. The best thing, though, is there's a whole conversation about knighthood. And Jamie and Brienne are talking. And women, obviously, aren't allowed to be knights. Tormund is the one who actually questions this. And they all agree. And Jamie brings up, uh, you don't need a king or a queen uh, to be knighted. You just need another knight of the Seven Realms. And it's perfectly fitting for Jamie to be the one to knight Brienne. Uh, and she's now officially Sir Brienne of Tarth. Which, I I, I guess that's that works. Because, I mean, technically it's not S-I-R and Sir. It's uh, like they do in today's knighthood. It's Sir as in it's S-E-R. I, I don't know if that's unisex or not. I haven't looked at the et, et, etymology, entomology of it. Excuse me. And, th- and that... That was just, honestly, it's one of my favorite scenes in the whole show so far, that it's just, it, it it allows you to breathe and spend time with these characters before a potential end, and that's what I loved about it. We also got interactions between, uh, so the, the episode essentially begins with Jamie on trial, you know, with Sansa and and Danny and things like this. Danny's pissed because he killed her father, Sansa doesn't like him because he helped betray his family, things like or her family. Sorry. Uh, luckily, though, Brienne is the one who stands up for him in the beginning and allows him to to live another day. Uh, he apologizes to Bran. Bran understands that if Jamie had never pushed Bran out the window, he wouldn't be the man he is today, and all all these other things that just help wrap up story threads that have been going on for the last eight seasons or, or seven and a half seasons or so. But that those are what I liked about the episode. I, I do want to touch on some some theories. Obviously, we'll find out in a, a couple hours' time if these theories are true. Um, one I saw floating around online is that Bronn will be the key to the war. Um, so as the episode ends, we see essentially the army of the dead and the White Walkers approach Winterfell, but we only see the White Walkers on horseback. We don't see the Night King and Viserion. So we're we're led to believe that he might not be there for the the final battle. So a lot of people think that the Night King is actually going straight for King's Landing. Bronn will see this, head to the north and side with Jaime and Tyrion, even though he's been hired to kill them. I I don't know about that. I I I can buy into that though because you don't see him. Maybe it's foreshadowing. Uh, one of Bran's visions showed a dragon flying over King's Landing that hasn't happened yet. So maybe it's the Night King. They kept putting the emphasis on women and children going into the crypts of Winterfell. A lot of people are like, I don't think that's smart because the Night King can raise the de- can raise the dead. Should they be down there with a bunch of dead bodies? <laughs> That'd be funny uh, if that turns out. But again, uh, we'll know in, in a few short hours. But I, I really like so far where season eight is going. Can't wait to see what happens this fucking week with the battle at Winterfell. Obviously, we'll talk about that next week on... Nixner News. So check us out then. Let's uh, let's move into movies. Uh, Bond 25 had its cast confirmed. Uh, it's expected to release on April 8th next year, so just about a, a year from now. Uh, Remy Malek is confirmed, more than likely as the villain. R- Rafe Fiennes is back as M. Uh, Jeffrey Wright will be back as uh, Felix Leiter, who I'm happy to see because in the old James Bonds, he was around he was never really in all of them I'm, I'm glad to see jeffrey wright has been in every single of the new james bonds or was he in quantum of solace that's the only one i'm questioning uh naomi harris is back as money penny and carrie fukunaga will be directing uh, he di- 
directed a majority of the first season of True Detective. And MGM and uh, Broccoli Productions, yes, I know it's it's Broccoli Productions, uh, released this. Bond has left active service and is enjoying a tranquil life in Jamaica. His peace is short-lived when his old friend Felix Leiter from the CIA turns up asking for help. The mission to rescue a kidnapped scientist turns out to be far more treacherous than expected, leading Bond onto the trial trail of a mysterious villain armed with dangerous new technology. Sounds like just about every fucking action movie nowadays. I hope it's really good. If I were to rank the new Bonds, because I, while I've seen practically every James Bond at least once, uh, it's been a while since I've seen a few, I, I will say that Daniel Craig is slowly becoming, uh, he's not number one yet, but he's he's keeping his place steadfast at number two of my favorite James Bonds. Uh, if I had to rank the new James Bond movies, though, it's definitely Skyfall, then Casino Royale, Spectre, and Quantum of Solace. Spectre's really good. I need to rewatch it, I think, to, to see wh- wh- how I really feel about it, because it's been a while. Uh, Skyfall's really the only one, and... and Actually, I should probably watch Quantum of Solace again because I think I've only seen that one once as well. Uh, just to get a better idea of those because, I mean, I've seen Casino Royale and Skyfall so many times that I almost have them committed to memory. But, no, it's uh, I can't wait to see what they do and I, I hope they get someone good to record the song and I can't wait to see what this, one's, what this one ends up being called because ultimately this is Daniel Craig's last outing as Bond. It's unfortunate, but we'll see what happens after. Uh, Men in Black International dropped a new trailer. Um, I'm just pretty much calling it Thor 4 at this point um, because it's starring Tessa Thompson and Chris Hemsworth, you know, the stars of Thor Ragnarok. Um, looks like a lot of fun. It's, it's been able to capture some some of the, the, the warmth and heart that were in the first two movies. Uh, three was just kind of lacking. But hopefully all the funny stuff isn't in the trailer. But But I am very excited to see where that movie goes. James Wan is developing the first film adaptation, uh, motion picture film adaptation, I should say, of Stephen King's Salem's Lot, which is about a priest, Father Callahan, in a New England town where vampires take over. The only reason I know a lot about Salem's Lot without having read it is it ties into the Dark Tower series a lot. Like, Father Callahan, the main star of Salem's Lot, is a major character in the Dark Tower series. Uh, Don't worry, I'm not spoiling anything. Uh, Making Star Wars the site to go uh, for all your Star Wars news is uh, alleging that Harrison Ford will return in some capacity in Episode 9. And take that with a giant heaping of salt. Because that just, that doesn't make any fucking sense at all. And uh, last bit of stuff before I I get into our uh, endgame review. Kingsman, The Great Game, which is the Kingsman uh, prequel, uh, has survived the Disney purge, which Disney has been purging a lot of films from Fox. Uh, they gutted Fox 2000, essentially closed down that that little minor studio. A lot of their films have been uh, not exactly canceled, but Disney essentially sold them off to other studios, uh, one of those being the projected Mouse Guard movie, which is all but dead at this point. Disney just didn't feel it was worth the money because they didn't see it as having franchise potential because everything is a goddamn franchise nowadays. Hey, don't get me wrong. I'm, I'm okay with that. But at the end of the day, 
let's get some new IPs in there too, but no one wants to take the risk, so it's all fucking business people, right? Um, and then, like I said, we're going to get into the endgame review, just uh, a few minutes here. Uh, Halo Legendary Crate finally arrived, uh, albeit a bit late, but obviously they want to make sure everything is uh, top-notch when they, they send uh, out their crates, uh, the people at Loot Crate, I should say. And this month's crate came with an awesome uh, Spartan 4 program t-shirt. Uh, it's a very simple shirt. It's like uh, army green, that olive drab, essentially, uh, with the UNSC logo and uh, like a line going down that says Spartan 4 program. Uh, this really cool 4 gigabyte USB drive that looks like the data chip that Cortana lives in that the chief plugs into the back of his helmet. Uh, it lights up, too, when you have it plugged in. A figurine of Cat B320, uh, one of the final members of Noble Team. A data drop file about the ghost, which also uh, comes with a ghost-exclusive pin. Fun fact, and this is shocking, actually. The ghost is 13.8 feet long and 6 fucking feet tall, which just goes on to show you that that's how fucking big Spartans are, that they make the ghost look way smaller than it really is and top speed 82 miles per hour and it weighs 1200 pounds who the fuck comes up with this shit at, at microsoft in 343 like that that's an epic job hey what do you do oh i uh i come up with all the tech specs for all the the vehicles in halo <laughs> like what <laughs> like how what why? 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 I guess. Uh, it also comes with. Uh, it's always always comes with a downloadable content. Uh, it's a cool Halo Three UNSC shirt for your avatar e on Xbox Live, and then of course it also comes with a a cat branded. It's not a snapback hat, but it's like a comes with I guess what you would call a, a strap back hat. But that is it. Uh, I just wanted to get all the. The basic stuff out of the way before we started talking about Endgame. We have we won't get into spoilers just yet. Uh, I just want to give some my my essentially basic review of the film. Endgame was fucking perfect. Um, wow, I'm getting emotional again talking about it. I I think I was brought to tears about the last 45 minutes of the film. Uh, maybe out of pure joy of seeing some things on screen and the culmination of 11 years and, and 22 movies worth of things that I, I've never been a, a giant Marvel fan, but you know, I've enjoyed the MCU for the most part. I, I enjoy Iron Man two when a lot of people hate on it. The Thor movies were never that bad in my opinion. And just uh, it, it's the end of an, an era and it's the end of a story for a lot of characters that I have come to love over that time and it, it's just a lot of things that weren't possible 10 years ago on screen that are doable now and most of the story threads come come to a close but if if I had to to really rank it end game for me and I know a lot of people still think infinity wars better and you know the three hours didn't phase me but it honestly, it was it was perfection. It was for me personally a, a ten out of ten, a solid ten out of ten, and and I don't say that lightly at all. But there were a lot of things I didn't expect that happened. There were a lot of callbacks that I didn't expect that happened. A lot of theories 
that had floated around online turned out to be true in some capacity. A lot of things that no one expected that maybe one person thought of like 10 years ago was 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 right and and it it all just it worked out fine in the end and when i say fine i don't mean like fine but like for all our heroes things turned out fine but i'm i'm excited to see where they go from here when phase 4 starts either uh, when phase 4 starts early next year and before we do that as well Endgame has ob- obliterated practically every box office record now at this point. Fastest movie to a billion. Broke $340 million opening weekend. And and they called that Sunday morning. They usually don't do that. But I guess pretty much every ticket had been sold at that point. It opened. It was one of the widest releases ever in history in amount of theaters. It broke records in China. Broke records in Brazil. And and I'm, I'm just amazed at that at what it was able to pull off and props to Marvel studios and Disney for, for being able to stick with it for so long. But Hey, that, like I said, 10 out of 10, but I I do want to talk about spoilers here. Um, before we get to that, just to, for people who, who don't want to listen, if they haven't seen the movie yet, thanks for listening to this week's episode. As always, check us out on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter at Nick's nerd news. We're on Spotify Google Play and iTunes. You can find links to the social media and all the show sites at nixnerdnews.com. You can also listen there in your browser if you like. And uh, next week, we will have our one-year anniversary show. And, of course, some changes to follow after that as we as we begin year two here at Nixner News. And uh, thank you. And I'll, I'll catch you guys on the flip side. For those of you wanting to stick around for endgame spoilers, here we go. So... The next 35 minutes or so, I'm not going to touch. It is my spoiler-filled just discussing of the film. You guys can listen to it if you want. You, you don't have to. I'm, I'm just going to leave it there. Uh, it's a little different than what I normally do just because it was a three-hour movie, and it, and it hit me harder than most films have done in a very long time. So that's why I'm just going to let you guys have a unedited just my my opinion of of the story and it kind of explaining the breakdown um if you have seen it if you haven't seen it listen to it if you want like i said if you're not adverse to spoilers but that's all on you guys um again thanks for listening and we'll see you guys next week otherwise here is a massive giant enormous spoiler warrant warning Turn back now if you don't want to know what happens in Endgame. So, that movie fucking hits you hard right in the beginning. Obviously, with showing Hawkeye lose his family uh, in the opening fucking cre- uh, opening scenes of the movie. Which is uh, a little gut-wrenching, to say the least. Then we have the opening credits. And somehow... Captain Marvel shows up to save Tony and Nebula, uh, who were on the verge of death at that point. And here's my question, and everyone's question online. How did Captain Marvel know where to look for them? And where, uh, and how did she know what they'd look like? Uh, Was she talking to Rocket, I guess? Was she talking to 
I, I don't I don't fucking know. Was she getting the messages Tony was sending to Pepper? Uh, very confusing, to say the least. Um, nice little interaction between Tony and Nebula. That was uh, used for laughs a bit. So pretty much we get Tony and them return to Earth pretty quickly. And the team uh, assembles and with the help of Captain Marvel... Uh, Tony gets really pissed and Tony's like sickly because he's been without food and water for about 20 days or so. Uh, and, and he's down for the count essentially at that point. Uh, but the team assembles, they they hop on Rocket's ship, they find where Thanos is, and, and they go to confront him. Literally, um, this is like a couple weeks or so from the end of Endgame, or Infinity War. They find Thanos on his planet. They confront him. He's destroyed the stones, and it's nearly killed him. He's he's burnt up and destroyed pretty much from like one whole half of his body. And then everyone's fucking pissed at him, obviously, for destroying the stones because they can't undo what happened. And Hulk cuts his fucking head off. Yes, Thanos technically dies in the first 15 minutes of the movie. Then we get the five years later. And a lot of things have changed. Natasha is still running point for the Avengers, per se. Uh, She talks to Rocket and Nebula, who are doing missions in space and around the globe. Rhodey is doing things as War Machine. Uh, Captain Marvel is off protecting other planets. They ask her if she's going to be around, and she says not for a while. Which... I don't fucking know what was going on with Captain Marvel because she's practically not in the movie at all. Like, Captain Marvel did not need to be released before this movie. Captain Marvel could have come later. Like, it was not fucking necessary. And I'm pissed because they they hype her up all this way. And granted, she, she plays a major part in the end battle. But it's like, why the fuck did you waste time on a whole movie if you're only going to use her for a total of 15 minutes of fucking screen time? Fucking waste, dude. I'm I'm not kidding. It, it was a joke. Like you could you could really watch Captain Marvel after Endgame and be perfectly fine. It wouldn't change a thing. That's a, just a little rant from me. But so they're off doing different things. Then Rhodey tells her about what Clint's doing and how he's just fucking murdering people everywhere. Uh, uh, Steve shows up, he's hosting an emotional support group. You could tell the planet is in somewhat of a disarray because half the fucking population is gone. People are depressed, they're trying to get on with life five years later. And we cut to, um, I guess, we cut, we cut to San Francisco and, like, there's a rat... Uh, it looks like Scott's van, the one that they use at the end of Ant-Man and the Wasp to go in the quantum realm, has been put up in storage. A rat walks across like a computer screen that allows Scott to essentially escape the quantum realm. Um, fitting, really. Uh, he finds out that it's been five years when he thought it was only five hours. Uh, he rushes home, finds an adult Cassie, uh, his daughter. Or not adult, but a teenage Cassie. Um, and obviously that freaks him out. 
uh, he drives to Avengers HQ. The Avengers, or Nat and 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 Cap, find out that he's missing and what happened in the quantum realm. So they hatch an idea. Let's go talk to Tony and pitch him our time travel idea. Tony's married to Pepper. They have a five-year-old daughter named Morgan. He thinks the idea is crazy. And Nat then goes to get Clint. And this is one of the coolest fucking scenes in the movie. But Clint is essentially taking out a Yakuza clan because they got to live and other people didn't. And it was filmed a lot like John Wick, which was fucking awesome. And then even how the like the subtitles played out. Very, very reminiscent of the John Wick films. And Nat convinces him to come, even though he's kind of gone off the deep end a little. Um, and all in this time, Tony, I guess, was working on the time travel thing. Figures it out. Is shocked because he figured out time travel. They joke about how you can't do things like in time travel movies. And, and obviously Paul Rudd delivers one of the best lines. You mean Back to the Future was all fuck or was all bullshit? <laughs> it was funny. I thought it was funny. Um, Tony comes to Avengers HQ. You know, they decide, hey, let's get the team together. And this is then when Rocket and now Professor Hulk. Yes, Hulk is now Professor Hulk and not... Uh, just Banner or Hulk. So he's just a hulked out smart dude. Uh, they go to get Thor. Thor is living in New Asgard. All the Asgardians that were left have settled in a town on Earth. And fucking, fucking Thor is like, ah, oh God, it sucks how depressing he is now, but he's fucking fat Thor. He's like a chubby dude. All he does is drink beer, play video games with Korg and Meek, who do make an appearance. And, um, yeah, he's got this giant beer gut, long scraggly hair, and this crazy long beard. And, oh, man, this is my, my new favorite version of Thor. Um, and at some point when they bring him back, because Tony's like, we're only doing this if we have the whole team. He's like, hey, watch out, Lebowski. And Thor is just cracking fucking beers the whole time. <laughs> Oh, shit. Um, so they get everyone together. They figure out they need to get the stones from the past to be able to change the future, essentially. Bring everyone back because Thanos destroyed the stones. They figure out there's three stones in New York in 2012 during the Battle of New York. There's one stone on Asgard in 2013 in... or. Yeah, 2013 on, on Asgard, uh, you know, Thor 2. The Power Stone is on Morag in 2014, you know, the beginning of Guardians of the Galaxy. And the... Uh, what stone am I missing here? Five, six. The Soul Stone is on Vormir, they know. And... Oh, wait, that's six, excuse me. Um... So they decide they're going to split into teams. Scott has enough Pym particles, you know, the stuff that he uses to shrink and enter the quantum realm, for everyone to have a round trip to, to go. And the teams consist of Professor Hulk, Ant-Man, Iron Man, and Cap go to the Battle of New York in 2012, which takes place, obviously, during the first Avengers movie. Uh, Tony and 
Cap go to get the Tesseract and the uh, Mind Stone in Stark Tower from Loki. And it's so it takes place around the end after they defeat Loki. And then Professor Hulk goes to... Oh, and Ant-Man goes with him, excuse me. And then Professor Hulk goes to Beaker Street, essentially, to try and convince... Uh, who he thinks is going to be Doctor Strange at the time to get the time the time stone. Uh, turns out the ancient one, you know, Tilda Swinton, uh, filmed a whole new scene for this, uh, which was very surprising to see her back. I, a welcome addition. Looks like she was helping during the Battle of New York, and uh, this is where the Hulk tries to get the time stone, and she's like, mm, no, and she does one of those astral punches that kind of like knocks him out of the Hulk's body, so it's just Banner, and. They have this whole discussion around the time stone, uh, how and how she points out that if you remove a stone, it creates an alternate reality. And then Banner posits, but what if you bring them back? And you know they they're going to bring them bring it back, obviously, uh, to the right time, so it, it puts the timeline back in order. Uh, and then she's like, but what happened? And she's like, well, Strange pretty much gave it away, no questions asked. And she starts to question things and then understands and, and gives him the time stone meanwhile tony ant-man and uh, uh cap are having a bit of an issue here so movie ends you know all of them are getting ready to go downstairs but in comes uh rumlow or crossbones and agent sitwell who we haven't seen since civil war and well civil war for rumlow uh, winter soldier for sitwell and uh, uh, they come into the tower to take the mind, the Loki staff away. They walk off with it, go down the elevator. Cap catches up to them, and he's like, "No, I'm I'm here to to take the uh, take the staff off your off your hands." The director called me, and they're like, "No, no, no, Cap. This is and it's very reminiscent of the the elevator scene in in um, Winter Soldier, which is great because it's Cap all along alone with all these." technically hydra agents and they're like and to for cap to convince them it's great because it's just trolling the fucking secret empire comic series that just recently wrapped cap whispers into sitwell's ear hail hydra and he fucking walks out of the elevator with the staff and they're all just standing in fucking stunned silence it was fucking perfect i loved it um cap then ends up meeting himself has to fight himself. Oh God, that was that was a cool scene to watch actually. Um, and then Tony dresses up as a security guard because he's going to try and take the tesseract from himself. And he has Ant Man sneak into his older self, go into his arc reactor, and short it out. And <laughs> fucking Tony almost dies. So they film this whole new scene, and it's with Robert Redford. Glad to have him back as well. And it's a scene, that, I guess, that played out in the Battle of New York in the first Avengers movie that we didn't get to see. But it's uh, he comes as the director, or the director, I guess, above, above uh, or the the secretary, sorry, above the the head of above Shield, above Nick Fury, essentially. And they they get in this little nice altercation. It's funny. Stark drops. Looks like he's almost about to die because Ant-Man popped a fuse in the arc reactor. 
And there's this fun thing with Thor. He's like, Stark, I'm going to try and revive you. I don't know if it will work. And he taps him with the hammer to like shock him and he wakes up. But in the meantime, Tony was, future Tony was able to steal the case and start walking off. But here comes fucking Hulk busting through the, 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 he had to take the stairs, fucking knocks Tony out. Tesseract gets knocked away. Loki ends up picking it up. Meanwhile, he was supposed to be arrested. He's like handcuffed at this point. Steals the fucking Tesseract and disappears. Changing the future timeline. Which a lot of people think is essentially the key for the Loki show that's coming later in the year with, with Tom Hiddleston. So, they get the Mind Stone. They have the Time Stone. They're missing the Tesseract. So, oh, you know what? Let's uh, hard stop here. There's a scene... I want to talk about when they first got to 2012. And so it starts off with the time travel. It shows that fucking money shot from Avengers. You know, that circling cam shot of all of them in that circle ready to fight. Um, But then you see like Hulk from 2012, like smash things. (laughs) And Professor Hulk is like, and Tony's like, come on, Hulk, you got to get in the the mood, smash little things on the way. So he like barely taps a, a fucking taxi to dent it. And he like barely picks up a motorcycle and just like kind of tosses it. And it's funny. Cause he's like, it's all so gratuitous. <laughs> it's, uh, it's just professor Hulk as, as the Hulk is funny. You got to watch it to it's, it's funny when you watch it, but, um, so they're screwed. They, they lost the Tesseract. Luckily they, they figure out there's another time period they can go to where the Tesseract will, where, where the Tesseract will be somewhere they know for certain, and they can get more PIM particles turns out they go to 1970 and go to the the base in New Jersey that uh, Armin Zola ends up being at in Winter Soldier and the same place that Cap trained. So it's a shield base and the Tesseract is being held there and Hank Pym is doing his first experiments on shrinking and things like this. So Tony goes in to steal the Tesseract ends up meeting his father. They have a nice heartfelt conversation and cap disguised as just a soldier goes and steals pin particles. So they get those, they leave, get back to the future. It's awesome though. In this scene, uh, Peggy Carter is back and so is Jarvis. So Jarvis from, uh, the agent Carter show and, uh, John Slattery is back as uh, as Howard Stark, so it was nice to see that. They get back to the future. Then in 2013, Thor and Rocket go to Asgard to steal the Aether from Jane Foster. Thor brings a fucking road beer with him to Asgard. Gets all depressed because he sees his mother. She knows he's from the future. They have a heartfelt conversation. Rocket gets the Aether. They escape and uh, get back. Here's where the shit hits the fan. And I'm, I'm surprised this is how it plays out. So, in 2014, with the Benatar, the ship they all use to fly into space, Rhodey and Nebula go to Morag to steal the Power Stone, well, when Peter Quill goes to steal it. Meanwhile, Nat and Hawkeye go to Vormir to get the Soul Stone. While on Morag, unfortunately, somehow Nebula interacts with her past self 
and uh, essentially reveals to Thanos, the Black Order, and Nebu- and uh, uh, Gamora that they have entered the past and are seeking the stones to try and steal them from Stark or from Thanos to keep him from getting them. And so Rhodey and Nebula knock out Peter Quill, steal the Power Stone uh, in a, like a pretty much a different version of the beginning of Guardians, you know, when he's like singing and dancing. Um, meanwhile, Rhodey uh, goes back to the future while Nebula gets like shorted out, tries to escape, tries to send a message. Gamora and Thanos show up, steal her, bring her to Thanos' ship. They hack her brain, find out the whole entire plan. Past Nebula steals the clothes of future Nebula and goes back. And we'll get to that in a second. But here's where the depressing stuff starts. Uh, Cap or Nat, Black Widow, and Hawkeye go to Vormir to get the Soul Stone. Uh, they interact with Johann Schmidt, Red Skull. He tells them the ultimate sacrifice has to be made, and uh, essentially they they fight over it, and ultimately it's. Uh, it's it's Nat who sacrifices herself so that uh, Hawkeye can get the Hawkeye can get the the Soul Stone. So we're without Black Widow at that point, and um, they go back to the future. They all arrive. Uh, Nebula plays it off like she's the future Nebula. And obviously, uh, Hawkeye, you know, just collapses with grief. And there's a bit of a mourning period there. And they decide it's it's time. Uh, so Stark has a gauntlet crafted. They put all the, soul, the, all the stones on. And they essentially argue over who's going to do it. Thor obviously is the one who wants to do it the most because he's the most upset about everything happening because he should have fucking killed Thanos uh, in the first fight. And he didn't. Um, But uh, Hulk ultimately puts it on, uh, snaps his fingers, and they, they hope everything changes. All while this was happening... Past Nebula has brought Thanos' ship from the past to the present, and it escapes and is essentially hovering over Avengers HQ. After the snap, Scott walks out to see if anything changes, and he says, I think they did it. And fire rains down from the sky as Thanos destroys, destroys is, is a light word, decimates Avengers HQ into just smoking, hulking craters. Uh, They almost lose the Infinity Gauntlet. And essentially what happens is everyone's like buried under rubble, trying to survive. Scott turns into Giant Man to save Rhodey and Rocket and Hulk. And 
Cap and Iron Man are running around trying to assess the situation. And Hawkeye is the one who gets the... Uh, Hawkeye is the one who has the gauntlet. Thanos beams down with the Black Order and Gamora and tries to and communicates with Nebula. Ultimately, though, Gamora sides with future Nebula and kills past Nebula. I know I'm talking about a lot of Nebulas here. And then Cap, Thor, and Iron Man confront Thanos. Um, in the past, I, I forgot to mention, Thor actually got M- Mjolnir as well in 2013. So now Thor is walking around with Mjolnir and Stormbreaker and Fat. And I want to be Fat Thor for Halloween now. Um, but anyway, they, they go to fight Thanos. Thor drops Mjolnir, uh, gets knocked out and beaten up by Thanos. Tony can barely hold his own. And is about to... uh, And Cap gets thrown. Thanos breaks Cap's shield. Yes, breaks it. Which I didn't think was possible. Gets thrown off. Tony then is about to be... Ripped in half by Thanos. When... Captain fucking America... Picks up Mjolnir... And fucking spins it... And throws it at Thanos. And Thor goes, I knew it! And and it's just the cool, one of the coolest fucking things that we've had a, a culmination of leading to this point. And after this, again, Thor, uh, they all get knocked out. All seems lost. Even though Cap is wielding the hammer. There's this nice interaction where at one point, Cap has Stormbreaker and Thor has Mjolnir. And he's like, yeah, you take the smaller one. <laughs> it's a little, little fun. And then... And then... Um, Cap's lying on the ground. And, and and you start to hear someone radioing him. And it's Cap. Cap, come in. Can you hear me? Can you hear me? And it's... Uh, you can tell it's Falcon. And, and you start to see, uh, like, Doctor Strange's magic portals open up. And and the first to fly through is Sam. So Sam's back from the snap. Uh, then Black Panther, Shuri, Okoye. And then you start to see, like, 30 other portals open up. And... All the Asgardians show up. All of the the monks and and Wong show up. You know all the uh, the the monks from Kamartage, the 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 sorcerers. All of the warriors from Wakanda came, come wa- marching through. And uh, what I didn't expect to to hit me so hard uh, was Drax. Doctor Strange, uh, Peter Quill, and and Mantis walking through, and then uh, Spidey is back, and uh, you can just tell that oh god, and he he goes to 
meet with Tony and, and Tony just embraces him because Tony was still just struggling to get over uh, the loss of, of Peter. Um, and then uh, then you see Valkyrie riding in on a fucking winged horse. And uh, it, it's it's this epic standoff. All of Thanos' forces, is, forces and essentially pretty much everyone from the MCU at this point. And they all show up. And then they fucking just run into this epic battle. And it, and it and it's like everything that the end of Ready Player One should have been. And I, I think this is when I started just fucking bawling in the theater. Just of pure tears of joy that everyone was back. And just seeing just this awesome spectacle on screen. Uh, and when it seems like all is lost, they start taking out the Black Order... It was just chaos on screen. Um, and then Thanos starts to just rain hell on the battlefield. And this is when Pepper shows up in her armor that Tony had been building. And they do this awesome thing together. Uh, Thanos is about to get the new gauntlet and uh, Spider-Man saves it. And this is when Captain Marvel shows up. She comes through, just fucking obliterates Thanos' ship. Just showing her pure power. Things are still going Ari on uh, on the, the battlefield. And then there's this epic fucking shot. Because they figure out to get... They need to get the stones back in time to make everything right. Luckily, somehow Scott's van has survived this whole destruction. And they still have the quantum portal there. Uh, Wasp is back as well. And there's this epic fucking shot of all the female heroes of Marvel. And it's just... A lot of people thought it was out of place or gratuitous. I thought it was awesome. You know, Valkyrie, Okoye, Shuri, Pepper, uh, uh, the Wasp, Captain Marvel. All, all of them. It was fucking cool. Uh, all the Guardians, females. It was It was awesome. Seriously, it was awesome. Um, and then it comes down to just Thanos, Hulk, and Cap again. Uh, oh, Hulk, Thanos, Thor, and Cap, and Iron Man. And, uh, Tony says something to Doctor Strange, like, hey, you said 14 million and one, uh, to one. Is this the one? Doctor Strange says something along the lines of, if I told you, it might not come true, blah, blah, blah. And they they try to each wield the gauntlet. And Tony decides that uh, he's the one that has to do it. And I, I don't remember what he said exactly, but... Uh, Tony's, oh, he says, I am Iron Man. And he, and he snaps his finger. And you can tell that, uh, pretty much decimated his whole right arm. And, uh, burnt half of his face. 
And as Thanos gets dusted and his whole army gets dusted, uh, Tony essentially dies. And, you know, at first it's, it's Peter and Cap are there to comfort him. Uh, he didn't get to say goodbye to Pepper. He didn't really get to say goodbye to his daughter. Um, but I, I, I really didn't think it was going to be him. And the part that pissed me off the most was it was fucking spoiled by, uh, by the trailers for Spider-Man Far From Home. They pretty much hinted that, that Tony was going to be the one to die. And I just, I don't know why, why it had to be him. But luckily, um, we get like a happy little prologue. Uh, Peter sees Gamora, uh, but it's the old Gamora, so she kicks him in the nuts. And that was funny. Um... Thor decides to join the Guardians of the Galaxy and and makes Valkyrie Queen of New Asgard. And uh, it's Thor and Peter Quill are obviously going to have a issue fighting over who's in charge. And uh, Hawkeye gets to reminisce with his family because they're back from the snap. Uh, and then they figure out what they have to do to send the time stones back. They build a new quantum tunnel, whatever you want to call it. Uh, Cap is the one. Uh, so Bucky and Falcon are, are talking to him and Cap decides he has to take all the stones back in, in time to their proper place. And when he's supposed to come back, nothing happens. And uh, you see... Bucky motioned to Sam to look over and you see an old man uh, sitting on a bench uh, and it's Cap and essentially Cap decided to stay in 1945 uh, marry Peggy and live out the rest of his life um, essentially ending his story there as well and he gives his shield to Sam, making Sam the next Captain America. And then the film ends with Tony's funeral. Uh, Pepper pushes off uh, the like the little trophy she gave him in Iron Man 1. You know, the proof Tony Stark has a heart. And at the funeral, uh, you see Happy, Pepper, and their daughter Morgan... Spider-Man and Aunt May, the remaining Avengers, Hawkeye, his family, the Guardians of the Galaxy, uh, Harley Keener, the kid from Iron Man 3, uh, General Ross, Captain Marvel, and uh, then our first appearance of Nick Fury in the, in the movie proper, and... The movie ends. But. 
I just, and it's, uh, it officially ends the story of the original Avengers. And, and like I said, I, I did a terrible, terrible, terrible justice of recapping the movie and explaining it to all of you. Um, but I, I just, I wish it wasn't fucking Iron Man that had to be the one to die. I, I know that Cap wanted to to leave, and I didn't think uh, Black Widow was going to die either. And, I mean, she's done. When someone goes in the Stole Stone, you're done forever. The writer's confirmed. But, um, yeah, it, it's just, I, I don't know what's going to happen with Phase 4. But, yeah. Thank you guys for listening. Um, I'm just gonna be go depressed, go be depressed now, and uh, hopefully I don't become as depressed if I watch it again. But uh, catch you guys next week for the one year anniversary. Catch you on the flip side.